If you do have your Bibles, I invite you um, to turn now to 2 Kings, where we are wrapping up um, our study of the, uh, uh, the great prophet Elijah. And we're also wrapping up, for the time being, our Old Testament study through First and Second Kings. This, um, this final closing chapter, um, it's a farewell. Uh, it's a, it's a, a wonderful tribute um, to, the, um, to Elijah, to his ministry, um, and it's a transition into the ministry of his protege, um, the, uh, the man Elisha. Um, it reminds us uh, that when a great man or woman um, passes the scene, that when their day comes and, and they die, uh, that this is not the end, that the Lord is faithful, that he raises up uh, new individuals. And, and the critical piece is, is not the gifts or the experiences of the new uh, leader, or the new individual. It's the continuing presence of God. That's what makes all the difference. And, and because God is the same uh, yesterday, to, today, and forever, um, we can have great confidence in these kinds of uh, uh, transitions from one person to the next. Now, before I read the passage, I want to say a second thing. And that is, um, I'm going to just quote this passage. When Jesus is, is uh, in the Gospel of John, he is having this debate with the, the Jews, um, probably largely the Jewish leadership. And as part of this dialogue, Jesus says um, this in John chapter 5, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. So he's addressing their unbelief. (laughs) He says, you studied the Old Testament, but you're missing the, the central theme that the Old Testament is designed to prepare the way for the coming of the Messiah. So that the Old Testament, you can preach Christ-centered sermons, gospel-centered sermons from the Old Testament because in part, this by the providence of God was uh, the purpose of the Old Testament to prepare the way uh, for the, the coming of the Messiah. Um, and it does this through lots of ways, um, uh, through promises and prophecies, uh, but especially through types. And, and you're going to see a lot of, um, of these when I say a type, I'm referring to these, um, uh, these shadows or these Old Testament pictures um, that are pointing to a greater reality that God in his providence and by his spirit gives to the people of God. So that when the real thing comes, they've in some sense been prepared and they can have a greater appreciation uh, for the, the reality when it, it, when it comes. And we're going to see that Elijah, and Elisha to a degree, is functioning as these kind of typological pictures, these Old Testament pictures of the the coming Messiah. This is a a really great, I mean, it's almost as if God allows for, you know, this is the the grand finale, the the best fireworks, save for last, um, uh, the best wine. So with that said, would you stand then for the reading of God's inspired word? And I'm reading um, 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 through 15. Now, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, please stay here, 
For the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, do you not know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he said, yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. The sons of the prophets who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha and said to him, do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he answered, yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Then Elijah said to him, please stay here for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. 50 men of the sons of the prophets also went and stood at some distance from them as they uh, both were standing by the Jordan. Then Elijah took his cloak and rolled it up and struck the water. And the water was parted to the one side and to the other till the two of them could go over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And he said, you have asked a hard thing. Yet if you see me as I am being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. And as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it and he cried, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. And he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water saying, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he struck the water, the water was parted to the one side and to the other. And Elisha went over. Now, when the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho saw him opposite them, they said, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him and they bowed to the ground before him. Would you bow your heads with me? Grant, O Lord, that our love of that which in its measure is good may never turn to a refusal to accept what is better. Grant that we may not cling to our own traditions and beliefs when you present a more excellent way. May your Holy Spirit illuminate and apply the truths of your word to our conscience. And by your grace, help us not to fight against, but rather receive what you have revealed through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. You may be seated. And this truly is a remarkable passage. Um, I already feel like I don't have enough time, but we'll, we'll work with that. We don't know how much time has elapsed uh, from that moment when um, Elisha called, um, I'm sorry, Elijah called the younger Elisha 
uh, from his farming to become his follower, to become a disciple. The chapter begins with Elijah and Elisha in the southern part of the northern kingdom. They are in a small town called Gilgal. And both of them somehow know that God will soon be calling Elijah away from this world to heaven. But first, Elijah and Elisha will need to make their way to the Jordan, to the Jordan River. And as they make their way to their final destination, or at least to Elijah's uh, final destination, uh, they make stops along the way. First, it begins in Gilgal. Then they will stop in Bethel, and then in Jericho. And finally, uh, they will arrive at the Jordan. At Bethel, where the golden uh, calf shrine was located, and Jericho, we read that there was a group of prophets who came out to meet the two, uh, uh, the two men. Um, so these sons of the prophets, there apparently were these communities of godly, um, Yahweh-fearing uh, uh, individuals who were practicing, they were serving in some kind of um, spiritual leadership and some kind of prophetic capacity. And these prophets uh, continued. They come out um, both in Bethel and at Jericho to meet with um, Elijah and Elisha. And at both occasions, these sons of the prophets, they, they say to Elisha, do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? Um, and in response, um, Elisha answers, yes, I know it. Keep quiet. That is, yes, I know. I don't need to be reminded of you what is soon to happen. In some sense, this kind of climactic um, uh, event, this conclusion to the ministry of Elijah has been revealed. It's been revealed to both Elijah and Elisha, and, and it's even been revealed to the sons of the prophets, these, these, kind of, these communities that have arisen apparently since the, the prophetic ministry of Elijah. And all of this, um, all of these stops at these cities, the interaction with the sons of the prophets, this question that gets repeated, they're, they're, they're designed to slow the pace of the narrative. It's, it's building dramatic tension. It's a, an anticipation and suspense of what soon must transpire. And it also allows us as the reader to some degree to, to be walking right alongside Elijah and Elisha as they're making this final journey together. If we've been following closely um, the story of Elijah, we can empathize with the younger Elisha. We can empathize with this foreboding sense that soon Elisha and all of Israel will experience not just the end of of the life of a person, but it's really the end of an age. This age that has been dominated by this, this single individual, this single man, Elijah. Three times, once at each town along the way, Elijah poses to the younger man. He, sa- he says, please stay here, stay here. First at Gilgal, then at Bethel, then at Jericho. Stay here, for the Lord has sent me further on. And each time Elisha responds, in the strongest possible terms. As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. 
You know, it's hard not to see a kind of Sam and Frodo moment here. You know, as Frodo is making his way in the Lord of the Rings to Mount Doom, and he turns and he says, Sam, you don't have to go. This is, this is my burden. But Sam has nothing of it, right? Sam is going to stick uh, with, with Frodo to the end. Well, there's something like that here. For Elijah, the river Jordan is the river of death. And at least as far as the life in this world goes, there's no way Elisha's going to leave his master by his side. Now, it's not clear why Elijah poses this suggestion. You know, is he testing Elisha? We don't know. Is this something the Spirit of God has placed on him to say, to perhaps indicate that, that ideally he was meant to, to make this final journey alone? But Elisha foils this plan, of course, and, and he is not going to leave his master's side. And here we might just highlight something that's on the surface. Um, it's the dynamic of the relationship between Elijah and the younger Elisha. This is a discipleship relationship. Elijah is the older, uh, more experienced prophet. He has called Elisha to be his disciple, to follow him. And even though, and so this is interesting, even though Elisha will be filled with the same spirit, the spirit of God that fills Elijah, he still has to be equipped. He still has to go through this kind of ordinary training process. And the best training process here, it's not a seminary, actually. It's, it's following this older, more experienced believer. And this is a tried and true means of equipping the next generation. This is what Jesus does, if you recall. He calls 12 disciples to himself that he, he pours his life into. And, and this is something that the church historically has recognized, the value of these kind of mentoring relationships and, and often situations where you're both being mentored and mentoring someone else, that it's this dynamic process by which the hard-won wisdom and truths of God, the truths of God's word are passed down from an older to the younger. These are valuable, and, and perhaps we've lost sight of the importance of these relationships as just a, a piece of wisdom to consider. Is there someone that the Lord has placed in my life that I should be pouring my heart into? And, and many of you think, oh, well, what am I going to pass on? You don't understand how much accumulated wisdom you have if you have just been walking faithfully with the Lord, just attending Sunday school, church, being involved in service and ministry. You have much to pass on. And at the same time, you still may have much to learn and, and still, st- still may be very valuable to find someone who's older and more experienced than you to say, hey, let's spend some time together. I want to learn from you. This is just good biblical wisdom. Finally, after three stops, they arrive at the Jordan with a cadre of lesser prophets following at a distance. The Jordan River looms large in this passage, and so we should ask the question, why? And one answer is that it is pointing to a reverse exodus, okay? So God is leading, you know, this is all by God's providence. God is leading the prophet. This is all by design. And so it's just natural. We should ask the question, why is God designed it this way? Well, the emphasis on the Jordan River 
And, and all that takes place um, at the Jordan are filled with much symbolism. Elijah takes off his cloak. Um, in other translations, that's his mantle. And he rolls it up. He strikes the water. And the water parts such that they are enabled to walk across on dry land. And so the first thing we should note um, is that for the reader, this immediately connects Elijah as a kind of Moses figure. This is even the language of walking across on dry ground. This is the same language at the Exodus when the Israelites and Moses, you know, he, he, he strikes, uh, this, uh, uh, he parts the water with his staff and, and then they walk across on dry land. This is a Moses-like miracle that's being performed here as they cross the Jordan Previously, um, Elijah's also been identified with Moses when God uh, leads him to Mount Sinai. And there in the glory, the, the glory cloud that appears to Elijah, and he's wrestling with God concerning covenantal matters. He is clearly a Moses figure. And what we, we see here is this kind of reversal of the Exodus. In other words, the house of Ahab, um, you know, followed up by his son Ahaziah and then his next son Joram. This is a Pharaoh-like administration, a Pharaoh-like house, the Pharaoh in the time of Moses. The northern kingdom has become quite inhospitable to true belief, true to the, the, the freedom and liberty of believers of Yahweh to worship freely within the northern kingdom. And there's almost a sense that these three cities, Gilgal, Bethel, um, which was associated with Ai, and then Jericho itself, those are three of the locations when Joshua first crosses into the land that they first um, uh, arrive at. And so we see this reversal, and they cross over to the other side. And then it's on the other side of the Jordan that the Lord takes um, he will eventually take Elijah. Well, this is also where the Lord took Moses. But Moses, because of a judgment, was not permitted to enter into the promised land. And so even though he was still healthy and vigorous, the Lord um, uh, uh, allowed Moses to die on the um, eastern side of the Jordan. The symbolism of a reverse exodus is, is pointing, it's a judgment. It's a judgment on, on the spiritual condition, on the idolatry of uh, the northern kingdom. It would be very difficult for them to, for the um, northern kingdom to miss the, the symbolism here. It has become Canaanite in its religion. But not only is it a symbolic indictment of the northern kingdom, it's also once again a visible supernatural witness from God that Elijah was God's man. This is a way of vindicating the ministry and all that Elijah has, has said and, and done as a prophet. Because um, the, these, you know, uh, the river was, or water was viewed as a means of testing the truthfulness of something that may be held in dispute. It was you know, part of the Code of Hammurabi, uh, in fact, that, you know, where there was this, dis this judicial dispute, one way that you could determine the guilt or innocence of an individual was to leave it to the gods, since there wasn't enough evidence uh, for a human to arrive at a, a confident conclusion. And the way they would 
you know, allow the gods to determine the guilt or innocence of a person is they might throw them into the river. And, you know, it's pretty simple. If they drown, well, guilty. <laughs> if they survive, then they were, the, you know, the gods have deemed them innocent. And so this was a current um, picture, that these kind of trials by ordeal. Um, in some ways, the, what took place on Mount Carmel with the fire coming down was a, a trial by ordeal. In this case, using the, the elemental um, uh, uh, fire from heaven as that which would judge the true from the false. And in this case, walking through the, the River Jordan, um, it walks through on dry ground, from one side to the other is a way of God vindicating. He's demonstrating this is an innocent man. This is, this is the true prophet of God. This is the one to whom you should have been listening uh, all along is what God is saying as he walks across this dry land. Jesus experienced an ordeal, and it wasn't by fire. It wasn't by water. It was an ordeal by death. And just as, as Elijah's, this picture, is, he's walking through these judgment waters, um, which also represent death. He starts on one side and successfully he arrives on the other side without even his sandals getting wet. Well, Jesus is the greater prophet. And it's also a picture that Jesus walks through a, a far more difficult ordeal, the ordeal of death on a cross. And he himself then, as he is raised from the dead, this is understood as a, as a trial by ordeal, and God is vindicating for the whole world. This is my Messiah. This is my man. This is the Son of God. All that he has taught, listen to him, is what um, uh, this trial by ordeal means. After crossing to the other side, Elijah comes out safely, and then shortly after, he ascends into heaven. This is the, the, the scene, and, and um, it's right at the center of the chapter. And the way um, um, Hebrew literature works is that very often it's not the, the, the end, end scene that's the, the climactic scene. It's the center, it's the center of the, the narrative that's the, the climactic event. And that's right where this event where Elijah is taken up into heaven is found. Um, we come to it in verse... Um, Uh, verse 11. And as they still went on, that is Elijah and Elisha, and they talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it and he cried, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. Suddenly, the grand moment arrives. The winds begin to pick up. You know, this, this, this probably a cloud um, uh, uh, comes. And, and so this, this glorious vision, and apparently it was, a, um, it was a real thing, but it was 
um, something invisible to the eyes of the sons of the prophets. They don't appear to see exactly what takes place here. But Elisha does, and what he sees is this, these fi- this fiery chariot, these fiery horses um, that separate the two men uh, from one another. And then in this glorious wind, and it's not clear, is he taken up alongside the chariot? Is, he, is the wind with Elijah inside the chariot itself as it, as it goes up into heaven? It's not clear. Um, all we know is that these combined elements are present as Elijah ascends to the heavenly places. The fiery chariots, fire, um, this is a representation of God. This is another divine uh, theophany, a manifestation, this visible manifestation of God, you know, visualized in in the chariots and horses. It's It's the glory cloud with the heavenly host being present to receive the prophet Elijah into heaven. Elijah offers a brief eulogy. My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. Elijah was a spiritual father to Elisha and probably to all of Israel. It was probably the the courageous witness of Elijah, in fact, that uh, prompted the the formation of these, these uh, fledgling communities of prophets that were springing up in, in really surprising places like Bethel, the center of the golden calf shrine worship, uh, or Jericho, you know, this cursed city. Now you have this, this, this presence of, of believers uh, rising up within this city as well, probably due to the courageousness of a single man, the, the man Elijah. He has been a father. And the reference, the chariots of Israel and his horsemen, is best understood as a reference to Elijah, not to the fiery horses and the chariot. Elijah was Israel's truest defender and protector. And having safely passed through the river of death, Elijah has now ascended into heaven without dying. Now, there's only one other person uh, that we know of that experienced this kind of physical translation into the presence of God without suffering a physical death. Do you remember who that was? Enoch. Yes, very good. And we see in the Old Testament something that prepares us for the way of, uh, for the coming Messiah. We see an ascension of the man of God into heaven. But of course, it's in this Old Testament form. It's a shadow of what's to come. It's something of a lesser reality fulfilled in the New Testament, by a greater reality. And that helps us understand. It gives us a little insight when we come to Acts chapter 1, where we have this very brief description of Jesus ascending into heaven. We read there that, and when he, Jesus, had said these things, as they, uh, that is the disciples looking on, he was lifted up, and note this, and a cloud took him out of their sight. Now, we read that and we think, oh, you know, he, he went up and there were these, you know, it's been a sunny day and, and there were these like white, uh, billowy, um, cumulus clouds and, and he just kind of disappears into them, you know, and maybe he got his golden harp along the way. Um, but that, if we understand what takes place here with Elijah, that's not what's being described in Acts. What we're meant to understand is this cloud is the cloud this is the glory cloud, this, this glorious, visible manifestation 
of God and the heavenly host. It would have been a threatening kind of and glorious um, uh, cloud uh, that we are to understand Jesus uh, being taken up into. And we're also told that when Jesus returns, he will likewise come back in the clouds. Again, don't think, you know, white puffy clouds floating in the sky. This is the glorious, you know, the, the, the kind of cloud that descends on Mount Sinai full of terror and, and sound and fury. This is why no one will mistake his coming again uh, when the, the Son of Man returns in judgment. But more than this, when Jesus is raised, what the New Testament also tells us, he's not just being raised into the presence of God, but he's being raised. He's ascending to a throne at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, from whence he shall uh, judge the quick and the dead. The scene draws to a conclusion with Elisha taking up Elijah's mantle, referred to as a cloak here. Earlier, um, after Elisha had demonstrated his loyalty to his master, and just before he ascends, um, Elijah asks Elisha what he can do for him. Um, It's like a blank check. Elisha, before I go, what is it you want? And Elisha's uh, uh, reply, is, it seems, is immediate. He, he asks the older prophet, please, let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. Elisha's saying, may the same spirit of God that has filled you, that has just flowed through you these many years, may that same spirit descend upon me. And this idea of the double portion, this is um, the, the language that would be used of the double inheritance given to the oldest son, okay? So um, the oldest son would receive, you know, if you had two sons, the, the father would divide up the, the property into three parts, and two parts would go to the oldest, one part to the, the younger son. This is, this is the language of, you know, his spiritual father. Father, I, I want the inheritance of the firstborn son, Grant to me this double portion of the Holy Spirit. And it is interesting, as the, as the Old Testament records the history of the prophet Elisha, that it, it, it seems to record, uh, it, it gives double the amount of space, and um, uh, if you count, it, it's roughly twice as many miracles, beginning with the, the one here um, with the parting of the Jordan, twice as many miracles attributed to Elisha as to Elijah. Immediately, uh, and just like Elijah, following um, Elijah's passing, Elisha is able to pick up his cloak that has been left behind. Elisha sees his master taken up into heaven. And to demonstrate that indeed his request has been met positively. He picks up the cloak, he picks up the mantle, and with it, just like his master, just as he saw, you know, just as he was trained, um, he picks it up, rolls it up, and he, and he um, strikes the water of the Jordan. And just like his master, he crosses back um, to the other side, into the land of Israel. And again, there's this Moses-Joshua kind of parallel going on, and Elisha now is 
Joshua coming in to conquer the land. So now the household of, uh, of uh, Ahab and the northern kingdom are put on notice. And Elisha will have this wonderful ministry. It'll be this life-flowing ministry of the Spirit, just pouring out blessing, um, especially on these prophetic communities, but also it's a blessing on all of the northern kingdom. Elisha, in effect, becomes this mobile uh, human temple of God. Just as the temple was understood to house the presence of God, and from that temple flowed blessings into the land, well, Elisha is, is the temple of God, for the northern kingdom. And he will have an amazing impact on the land. This is also the conclusion of the sons of the prophets. When they witness Elisha striking the Jordan and walking back across uh, uh, on the dry ground, they say in verse 15, the spirit of Elijah rests on uh, Elisha. We see the passing of the baton from one prophetic era to the next. The age of Elijah has passed now to the age of Elisha. And as previously mentioned, the prophetic ministry of Elisha, it won't be quite as dramatic or on the same, you know, dramatic scale. You know, there's not fire coming from heaven um, uh, uh, in the same way that it does with Elijah, but it will be a powerful ministry, a different kind of ministry uh, within the northern kingdom. And all of this gives us a picture of the passing of the baton. It helps us to appreciate, so this is all typology here, and it appreciates the difficulty that the disciples would have had knowing that soon their master is going to be taken away from them. We get this, this we can appreciate this through Christ. Jesus himself is He's constantly coming back to this. He's trying to prepare them. He knows that this is going to be a traumatic event in the lives of his disciples. And so he prepares them. And one of the ways that they they could have been prepared is to just recognize what happened in the Old Testament when a similar transition took place. And what happened is, is that the spirit was poured out on the next generation, on the next prophet. And, And the same thing happens with Christ. He's at the right hand of the throne of God. But the Spirit doesn't just come on one person, one apostle. The Spirit is just poured out on the entire church. And indeed, what Jesus says uh, when when he says um, that you will do even greater works, um, Jesus says before he departs, that they, his disciples, will do even greater works. Part of this is because of the scope of their ministry. And part of this is that the Spirit comes upon the entire church. And it spreads out. It's not limited to the boundaries of Israel, but it spreads into the nations. And it's duplicating the ministry of Christ. We're not surprised that in Acts 4.13, we read, when the religious leaders were witnessing the teaching ministry of John and Peter, this is what they say. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Just as the the prophets recognized when Elisha strikes the the Jordan River, he's doing a very Elijah-like event. He looks just like Elijah, and he's filled with the same spirit of Elijah, 
That's what the religious leaders see in the apostles. They're just like Jesus. We thought we got rid of him, but now it's multiplied. And what we need to understand is that in the presence, in the present time, guess who shares the same spirit as the apostles? Guess who shares the same spirit of Jesus and of Elisha and Elijah? It is the body of Christ. And we are called to go out to look like Jesus, to sound like Jesus, so that when people see us, it's, boy, that, that looks a little bit like someone we've heard about, you know. We look like Christ in power and in boldness and in courage. Let me just summarize it this way. In this narrative, Elijah being taken to heaven in the whirlwind, we are given a picture of what is to come in the ascension of the greater prophet, Jesus. And in granting Elisha a double portion of the spirit, we also have a picture of Christ equipping his church as firstborn sons with the spirit so that we might be empowered in the power of Christ to establish communities of faith and life and hope. The world cannot stop Christ's church. Well, let's pray. Almighty God, bless this meditation on your word. Grant us to understand those things that belong to our peace. And as your people taught in your ways, may we take heed to what we hear and fulfill the wise and righteous precepts delivered to us. By your word of truth, may we in the end attain to the one who is the way and the truth and the life who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, world without end. Amen.